Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oh, do excuse me. Um, Did you just burp? A tiny. I'm not physically capable of burping because I'm like a... I'm quite gracious. I'm quite like a princess. This is Jenny Eclair speaking, by the way. Some of you will be going, Jenny Eclair? Princess? I'm sorry, I'm struggling to... But I don't burp as a rule. I do these tiny little... <laughs> I can't do a full-throated, throttly... Well, goodness, no, you I don't. Know, I find I it disgusting. I think it was a burp, nonetheless. But anyway, a yeah. Tiny, a tiny. Mm. It was just clearing my chest just before yeah, as the long podcast. as it's just that end and not the other end. Well, it's a very small room we're in. I might be seeping. Um, <laughs> we are here, gathered. Gathered, Judith and I, before our guest comes in. Um, Viv Grosskop's coming in later. I know you did well with that, didn't you? You didn't even take a run-up at that and you got it right. Quality guest. This is quite a tricky name. I've got the surname right. Grosskop. I know. In German, that's Big Head. Is it? You know that too. Grosskop. Grosskop. Ja, wohl, kein gut Deutsch sprechen, weil ich wollte in Deutschland seit von vier Jahren. Stop, Jenny. Come on, back to the... Uh, I'm to not the... going to do it all in German. We're just going to do the podcast in English today because that's our first language. Um, Judith Holder and Jenny Eclair here with Older and Wider. Do you see what we did? You might think, oh, don't they mean older and wiser? No, we're doing a funny. Do you get it? A little funny spin on kind of being older. <laughs> dance floor but this is as close as I've ever seen you. Sit down dancing. I know. Sitting down in the studio. We've survived. We're still with you. This is uh, myself, Jenny Clare and my old friend <laughs> Judith. Oh, I've forgotten. <laughs> God, you said <laughs> Judith Holder. Yeah, old. I love the way you did. You said that. That was spiteful. I like the way you've got two names. You're Judith Holder and Judith Parker. Yeah, I know. Explain that. Well, because I, that's to the fraud that... office. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because, you know, I suppose having a dual identity might be quite useful in terms of if I was doing any tax fraud. But, you know, anyway, Judith Parker is my married name and Judith Holder is my work name. Do you know what? I've got myself in a mess because I've got two names as well. Uh, I'm Mary Fanakapan. <laughs> Not really. Is that what your mother used uh, to call Fanny you? Fanny Fanakapan. You? Oh, that's good. Is that what your mother used to call My you? grandmother occasionally <gasps> called me Fanny Fanakapan. Did you? When you were being naughty? Everyone should call Fanny Fanakapan. A show off. She was mad. <laughs> she couldn't remember anybody's name. <laughs> Fanny Fanakapan. Um, yeah, there's that one. Uh, yeah, so I've got Hargreaves is my real birth name mm. and it's on my passport and mm. it's on my driving licence. Um, but I've always had all my monies in, under the name of Eclair because I've, I've never made a penny as Hargreaves. Mm. Who'd employ a Hargreaves? Mm, well, I know what you mean. Well, I can, <laughs> to be honest, I think I might be starting to apply for <laughs> other jobs. Anyway, um, so all my money's in Eclair right. and I've got 
uh, an insurance policy that I'm trying to cash in. They won't let me cash in because oh, I've got God. no photo ID, no <gasps> official photo ID in the name of Eclair. And I'm going, well, look at this on Wikipedia. Look, yeah, there I yeah, am. Yeah, look at this yeah. back of this book. I'm Jenny Eclair. That's that me. That won't count, no, though, will it? Because they have their rules. No, I've got to go <gasps> into the bank. I've been summoned. I've got to but give wait blood. But where's it? Look, hold on a minute. I've just, got to just... give blood and a stool sample. Why really. have we suddenly got onto stool samples? Um... <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, but Eclair isn't your real name, now. is it? That's a made-up name, yes, isn't it, Eclair? Yes. Do you remind us why you are called Eclair? Well, um, well, because Hargreaves is another... When I went to see a psychiatrist last year when I was having my teeny nervous breakdown and she she started talking to me about all oh, this guff, Did you she? know, my dual identity, and she right. said, you know, what about, Ju- what about Jenny Hargreaves? Where is she, she in all this? I said, well, she? you know, it's just, that's just my other name, you know. Oh. She said, I think you're forgetting her and I think we should cherish Jenny. Oh, my God, when did she, you hit her? When she started, she, she she referred to her as little Jenny Hargreaves, this kind of stunted, leftover, ignored part of my psyche. How many sessions probably... did you have with this stupid woman? Uh, just that one, that one. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll say, <laughs> I walked home so crossly. Oh, I bet you did. By the time I got home, I couldn't remember why I'd gone. <laughs> well, I suppose in a way that it was quite effective. I'd healed myself. I'd healed myself. So oh. anyway, Judith Holder and I, and together we do this podcast, which is called Older and Wiser. No, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it would be if we didn't have the wit to change it into a more pun-like title, which is, of course, Older and Wider. Yes. See what we did. Well, eventually we did. Yeah, we did that. I'd be worried about you, Jenny. <laughs> I know. I'd, I'd gone back. You see, I'd reverted to little did, Jenny Hargreaves. You had. You, who, you had. She's, she's got no experience in comedy whatsoever. <laughs> Despite all the cherishing that you're obviously now giving her, doing oh, her, or I whatever. Can't, I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> but anyway, listen, J- Judith and I do this podcast. And what we want to do, really, is we want to share. We want to feel, make you feel less mad. That's what we want to well, do. That's a order. It is, isn't it? But I do, I do think that for women our age, I mean, obviously I'm a lot younger than you. Uh, oh, you just had to get that in, didn't you? In, got it in. 58, you're 63. Yes, all right. We cover the uh, we cover a gamut of age ranges. You know, anybody's sort of anybody's welcome to listen to us, but I think that what we're trying to do is make women in their 50s and beyond feel more normal. Are we giving them us a collective noun, if that's the right word? I mean, are we late middle ages, early old ages? What are we? You can call yourself an early old ages, but I'm nowhere near there. I'm still I'm young, <laughs> fit and sexy. I'm a bit like I'm a bit like Beyonce. When I was dancing to our theme tune, you were just sitting there in your camel coat, but me, I was throwing some, I was grinding into the chair. <laughs> Like a sex machine. In your head, that's what you were doing. No, you just weren't watching. In your head. I was grinding deep and down. I had an orgasm <laughs> during that theme tune with my grinding into the oh, chair. Oh, no. I came. Well, I'm not sitting on that chairing after you. You can't catch um, anything. So you'd call yourself middle-aged, would you still? No, still middle-aged. What, 58? Yes, So I you're going to live to 116? I don't think so. Well, out of spite, I probably will, <laughs> to be quite honest. You know, so, are you ever going to be? Are you ever going to admit that you're old? Is it old? Ever going to be something you embrace? Well, see, cherish. My, my mother is eighty-nine, mm. and she still speaks of older folk, 
older people than than she is as the old folk. Does she? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't think There's it's There's only ever... about three of them in her sort of locale who are actually older, but, yeah, you know, well, yeah, they are yeah. the ancients and she's the spring chicken. <laughs> But that's a good argument for mixing with people who are older than you. And suddenly I'm now beginning to realise why you're friends with me. Yeah. Because it, ma- it makes you feel young. Makes me feel young and thin. <laughs> no. That's silly. That's silly. You, I, do you know what? You really disappointed me. You and Linda Robson, both of you spitefully, uh, have lost a lot of weight since I first met you. Yeah, just we, we actually what we did is we ganged up on you. We yeah. talked separately and we said, I know how we're going to really annoy Jenny. It's a terrible plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has, hasn't it? It's well, really you've got, got a reason. Got to you. You've got a reason well, to keep your weight reason. off. We've, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We've, we've discussed this before mm. on the podcast, but the date is, is ever ever looming, racing towards me, actually, yeah. that I'm going to be mother of the bride. I'm sort of in my head, I think I am, I kind of think I'm the bride, but I'm not. Do you know what I mean? Have you elevated your role slightly to that of more important than it actually is? Very much so. (laughs) So much so that when I was trying on this dress in this bridal outfit, no, no. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole floor which is mother to the bride floor. Obviously, not the bridal floor. And so I put it, I put this dress on, and, and uh, the woman was saying it looks really nice. And I felt the need to point out that I was, I wasn't the bride. You don't think she <laughs> guessed? Guess, exactly. I don't know why I did that. But really, what foolish. were you actually? What had you tried on? Had you tried on a white full length <laughs> well, dress? No, I hadn't. Were you wearing a veil? No, of course I wasn't. No, but it was like, because I suppose, you know, if I was getting married again today, it's the kind of outfit that I might wear, because I wouldn't wear white, would I? So I just felt like I needed to point it out. Why am I mixing with a slut? (laughs) Once I had, I felt really stupid. Yes, yes, I know, obviously. (laughs) But yes, I think I have... It, yeah, I think kind of in my head it feels like it's my day. It's so not my in day. In the pecking order of, of the wedding day, OK, mm. let's go. Who is the most important? Do you count yourself? There's, there's the bride. Let's put her at the top oh, of the Oh, she's spoon. right at the top. She's right, OK, she's right bride. At the top. Now we yeah. have the groom. Mm. Now, are you on a level pegging with the groom or are you going to put him sort of a little bit above you? Well, you see, instinctively I wanted to put him out there to the side. <laughs> <laughs> Should we leave him for later yeah, and then slip part. him in later? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. it's almost like in, ter- in terms of the procession. You know, I feel like because I have been given a place in the procession now. Place in the procession. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not going to slur your words like a drunkard <laughs> when it comes the day because you've got a speech as no, well. I have, I know. And I've got to work out what I'm going to say. No, because apparently what's going to happen is the bridesmaids are going to go down the aisle first. How many? Four. And what are they doing? Are they throwing shapes or are they just <laughs> throwing shapes? That's very trendy. And then and then there's me. I've got then I presume there'll be a little bit of a gap. And then there's me. And then there's the bride and um... So you're like a really old bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about pecking order though. Who's mm. the most important? Oh right, yes, the pecking order, yes. Well, yeah, you see, I mean, I know, rationally, I'm quite a long way down, aren't I? I mean, I suppose I'm, you know, level with the... Well, no, actually, no, I think I might be a bit before the groom's parents. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah. Well, who's paying for it? That's that they're the most important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, who's paying for it? So, yes, we're paying for quite a lot of it. Well, then, it's your right to swan about... Do you think? ...as much as you like. Yeah, I've got a lot of peacock feathers on my hat. That's swanning about... What? Peacock feathers. Aren't they terribly unlucky? I, 
I love that. We might have to get the Google out. Oh, shit. Daisy's the producer here. Daisy, this is... Because, honestly, Judith's not got much time. She has to get a new act. No, no. Well, I've just got somebody... I've just commissioned somebody to put a load of... You might have to decommission. I'm I'm not... I'm not... Seriously? I shit ye not. If they are, would that really put you off? Oh, God, where does, where does superstition yeah. come in in yeah. the wedding? Where's yeah. that in the pecking yes. order? Yes, Is something it borrowed, superstition first, then bride, then you, then... Let me just read this out. Daisy's just mm. found it for us. This is an old superstition and... Uh, an, oh, it's not... I think it's OK. Bringing peacock feathers into the house is bad luck. You're not going anywhere. You're not going to a house. You just... There's an old superstition... Um, claims that having peacock feathers in the house... Well, I can't get dressed outside. <laughs> well, in the I'm garage. just going to finish what it says right. on the Google search. That's yeah. all I'm going to do. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, Judy. What? It's an old superstition. Uh, claims that having peacock feathers in the house not only brings bad luck, but destines any unmarried female to become an old maid. Oh, my God. I don't think you should put your hat on until they've got married. Uh, many actors will not allow peacock feathers to be brought. See, this is where my superstition yes. for it, from the acting right. profession right. Uh, uh, to be brought on stage either as a prop or part of a costume. And ve- veteran actors and directors have recounted tales of sets falling down during performances that involve peacock feathers. Good heavens. I it's, didn't know any of this. Well, I'll go on. Superstition <laughs> originates from the Mediterranean where the evil eye markings are oh. said to represent the eye of the she-devil Lilith. Oh, it's getting mad here. Oh, I'm not going on. This is depressing. Well, that is a bit worrying. I mean, I can put my hat on out, you know, before I get um, in the car, but my, but my dress has got peacock thing on it and my handbag's got a bit... I've got a bit matchy. I've got a bit matchy. Have you overmatched? I've slightly got a bit... I've, bat- I've, I've, I've gone words. big on the peacock theme and I didn't realise about Stop. that. Why don't you just dress up as a big peacock? <laughs> you know you're worried about getting into this dress. Sod the dress. <laughs> You don't need it. Just get some papier-mâché. Get Shall some I? get some chicken wire. That's how we... Chicken wire and papier-mâché. Mm. And then all the peacock feathers. Struts down the str- aisle. And then... Uh, hold on. I do quite a good peacock impersonation. Do I can do this for you. You can do a recording and just play it, yeah. play it now and again during the ceremony. Go! It's peacock. Why can you do a peacock impression? I don't know. It's my only bird impression that I can do. I can, yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. That's not true because I've heard you do a macaw. What? Which one's that? Macaw. Oh, I do a cacao. I, I thought you did. Yeah. I th- I, you see, I think you do more bird impressions than you think you do. Do you know what? I think I've got a new act. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, like so a musical act. Yeah, yeah. I could tour for the yeah, rest of my life. Just you could. Screaming. You might need another couple. Yeah, I'll work on it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there we go. As we've discussed before on this podcast, the um, we have Christmas in between now and the wedding. Yeah, I'm trying not to think about it. I've try- I'm trying just to, you know, park it and think it might not happen. Last, uh, last podcast, you did mention, however, that you were going to make your own Christmas crackers. Yes, and I, I offered you my Vagisan. So you did. Uh, the handbag, handy size, some of them for surprise <laughs> gift. Uh, yes, thinking? that is rather at odds, isn't it? Well, because last Christmas, what happened is that, you know, I am trying to reduce it a bit because yeah. the girls are, you know, they're 30 and 27, for, for mm. God's sake. Mm. So I thought, well, no, you know, the, the, cracker, the crackers are pointless, aren't they? They're stupid, that's a waste of time. Hold on, hold on. Well, why would you say that? 
Well, because they're, you know... Oh, Judith. Right. Well, I'm just going to say one thing to you. Cracker? What's in a cracker? What do we all need at Christmas more than anything else? Apart from, you know, the... Plastic whistle? No. (laughs) (laughs) A hat! A paper hat! Do you like a paper hat? It's not Christmas unless you're wearing a paper hat. Well, you see, this is the trouble. I, 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 I did Christmas last year and I didn't buy the crackers. And like you, youngest daughter... Cried. She, she actually, she actually did. She said, she said... I love her. She said... <laughs> I love her. She said, you've ruined my Christmas. That's what she said. You've actually ruined my Christmas. I thought she was joking. Did you at this point say, you're 27 years yeah. old, if you want crackers, go to the garage at the end well, of the road and get them be half price now. That is kind of what I said. But she, no, she wouldn't have it. She really, really sulked and it really hurt. So this Christmas, I thought, despite the fact that it is the most difficult Christmas ever because of the wedding, mm-hmm. I'll make Difficult the, and uh, expensive. Yes, I'll make the sodding things. Claw some money back. Exactly, get some house points back. Listen, um, that's Christmas. Hey, what about you? Where are you going for Christmas? I'm going to Los Angeles. You're not. You no, made that not. up. Of course I'm not. I've got a thing in my head I, 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 that I haven't been to Palm Springs and I'd really like to go to Palm Springs, but I'm, I know I'm never going to go. But well, anyway, why not? Because I'm going to Wales instead. I'm going to Wales yeah, this Christmas. Really the same, my sister's uh, the other place she's got. She's got a place in London. Place. Sounds a bit drafty. It's it's not drafty. It's wet. So what do you what do you have to bring? Do you are you given a, a course or a tasks or what, uh, what happens? We're not. Uh, what do you uh, mean you're my, not? You just well, swan in. Uh, the other, but my brother's given sort of some. What I do is I go on the big shop with my sister in London. Oh, do you? And then I pay for it, and then she carts it all down because it's a long way, and we have a stop off on the way. We have a night in a hotel on the way. And then what do you do? We uh, have a steam and a sauna and a really nice yeah. meal in a hotel. And yeah. then we go to Wales the next day, by which point we are chill enough to deal with the family. See, we can't just go from the big shop to the Christmas. We need to sort of have a hiatus in the middle. The three of us, me, Jeff and Phoebe, just to have a, a really chilled out, nice time. And then we kind of gird our loins <gasps> for the eclair. Do Family you? holiday, yeah. Are you still doing stockings for Phoebe? No, no, she's 29. Pillowcase? Uh, no, uh, she just gets a, a pile of goods. The worst times, the worst Christmases I've ever given Phoebe was when I have earned money uh, because it makes her really anxious getting too many presents. There was one Christmas when she was eight where she actually had to beg for a break from wrapping <laughs> her presents because she was really tired. <laughs> You know, she's quite weak. The word guilt is flashing yeah. up in my in front of my eyes. So she's got, she says, can, can, I, can I stop now? <laughs> Please, can I stop? So she was allowed a break, and then we had to say, come on now, got yes, more presents. More. And then, so she got everything oh she goodness. wanted. She was really happy with everything. And then mm. there was the one big last present, and you could see her thinking, oh, Christ, what is it? What have we got now? Yeah. And it was a, a pink electric guitar, which right. we thought would be a great present for an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. And her face dropped. And she years later, she told me that uh, the pressure of that gift 
absolutely ruined her day. She said, I just thought you wanted me to be in a pop group and I would have to be like the Spice Girls and get some friends and start practising. Oh, my goodness. And she said, I, and I didn't really want to do that. And I, I got really... She was really upset by was it. Was she? And, and she hid it under her bed and it was just became one of those things she couldn't bear. Mm, mm. Anyway, she's, um, she's seeing her psychiatrist. <laughs> Uh, we are expecting our guest. We've got... Excuse me, I've just taken a large swig of Diet Coke. Oh, pull yourself together, well, Jenny. Well, would you introduce our next guest then? Well, well I up <laughs> gently in the background and try and get my breath. How would you describe her, really? No, you ought to do this. Come on, you well, do this. Viv Groskop uh, came to my attention a number of years ago when she, um, she, she gave herself the challenge of doing, um, I think it was 52 gigs in succession. We'll talk to her about it. Mm. And she got a book out of it and she did the gigs. And she's, so she's done a lot of stand-up. She's a columnist for The Pool and all, you know, The Guardian and all the nationals. Uh, she comments on just about everything and anything. Well, she's a bit of an all-rounder, isn't she? She's done a lot. Mm. She's written this book about kind of public, public speaking, speaking yeah. I Yeah, it's got a lovely cover. Mm. Um, Slash showing off. Yeah, um, it's called How to Own the Room, Women and the Art of brilliant speaking. So we shall be grilling Viv Groskop on this book uh, just as it was going to remind you of the uh, theme tune. I'm going to grind into the chair again, see if I'm going to oh, have... Oh, please don't. Well, see if no, I'm please have don't. another orgasm. Stop it! Is it happening? No, oh, stop it! <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question... The last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've been joined um, by Viv Groskop. Uh, I, I struggled over your surname then, even though it's quite easy to say. It's not even that difficult. Viv Groskop. Viv Groskop. You did very well. It's uh, a bit Polish-Russian. It is. Well spotted. Groskop! I could have done with you in the 1970s when my parents were telling me that we're perfectly English and there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> there's nothing strange about our funny surname. <laughs> we're just called Groskop! <laughs> Are you... Doesn't, doesn't it mean big head? It, well, I like to think of it more as fat head. Groß so, is German for big. So it means it's y- Yiddish, Groß, ah. Grosskop, yeah, yeah. big head, fat head. And my full name means lively fat head. Wow. You sound like a native in, in American. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's an element of that. Let's not go too cultural appropriation, yeah. ladies. Yeah. I like the way you grooved to our theme tune. Oh, yes. I thought yeah. that was... That, you that got was on down a, a bit there. She's getting of a, into the groove. Had a nice beat. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you realised that. getting into the lingo of the podcast uh, here. <laughs> Have you got some young person's lingo that you'd like to use? Oh, what shall I tell you of the young person's lingo? Well, I've just found out about the word manal. Which Ooh. is a panel with only men. Oh, well, and we're not approving of that. Heapeating. Heapeating oh. is when you say an idea in a meeting and then a the man, man says it five minutes later and everyone acts as if you didn't say anything. And everyone goes, God, that's a really yeah. brilliant idea. That's a, well that's done, a, Peter. That's a he, Peter, Peter the Heapeater. <laughs> 
That's a brilliant I gave word. you that one. Now, um, Viv. Vivian, is it a Vivian? Mm, it's a Vivian, like Vivian Westwood. Or yes. Vivian Lee. Yes, um, but I prefer Viv because Vivian is what I was called when I was a child and I was when I was. 19. And you're grown up now. You're like an adult. She's quite young though for this program, you know. She's, she's a bit young. She's a bit borderline. Speaking about me as if you're planning to eat me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's very cold in here. We might roast you first. Um, but what we're here to talk about right now is your latest book, and we'll go back a bit as well because, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that you've managed to publish. Is it? three books in three years oh um it's three books in five years okay that's almost acceptable it's still a bit annoying is it yeah but it is three books in theory in 45 years okay i'll accept not that quite so annoying this is the third so let's start with the first your yeah first so book. the first book i wrote it came out in 2013 it was called i laughed i cried how one woman took on stand-up and almost ruined her life mm-hmm. and it was about me starting stand-up at the age of 36 when my kids were very tiny so my kids are selfish now one could almost very say selfish. yeah so I, my children are now 8 12 and 15 and this is when the youngest one had just turned one and i'd had this midlife crisis where i suddenly thought i'm not doing what i want with my life mm. and i had to admit to myself that i'd always wanted to do stand up and i'd never quite had the guts and i'd also had that idea i'm sure i don't know if you'd identify this but there are things in life that you think someone has to pick you for you to do it you don't think oh no you have to just go and do it and that's a very interesting way of looking at well, it well yeah and as I got older I thought well no, nobody actually picks anybody to do things like stand up and perform you, you, you go and you do it God picked me <laughs> clearly and what a wise man he is a woman what a wise woman she is Jenny so I had this moment of deciding to go and do this and very quickly realised how difficult it is you could have called the book getting out of bath time Yes, I could. It did get me out of bath time for a good period of time, which wasn't bad. But I decided to do this 100 gigs in 100 consecutive nights to try and figure out whether this was what I really wanted to do. And did you start literally from scratch with the first, the one of, uh, you know, performance one of 100? Was that the first time you got on stage to be a stand-up? I'd done maybe 10 gigs before I did the 100 gigs. So my first ever experience at the Lion's Den... In, in King's Cross. In this, was it actually the called the Lion's Keys. Den? Yeah, it's called the Lion's Den at Cross Keys in King's Cross. I think it's closed down now. But I did uh, my Burnt first fast ever five minutes and this man came up to me and said, wow, that was amazing. You really reminded me of Victoria Wood. Yeah. And I started crying with joy. And he said, oh, no, it's not that you're funny. It's just that you look a bit like her. So I did go on from that moment, but I built, I was, my kids were very tiny then. And yeah, I was getting so little experience. I realized I need to do something extreme. And that's why I came up with this idea to do these hundred gigs. So did that, did a diary of it, but came out and by then I'd fallen in love with comedy and I really wanted to continue. So then I did an Edinburgh show of that book and that was my first Edinburgh show. It's a nifty idea. It's a, when you had the idea, you must have thought Eureka. Well, I thought this will be a good way to either do this or not do it. And what were you doing previous to this? Previously, I was a journalist for a good part of 15 years, really. Freelance, writing mostly for Guardian and The Observer. And, and you're still doing that? because I still your, do Your that. name crops up with annoying regularity. You get all so the work. That, I know. I'm I think you're a workaholic. I am a bit of a workaholic. I was oh, discussing yes. this I, with Judith. That's a fifth um, cross cop. She's a workaholic. Yes, well, my second name sounds a bit like workaholic, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? So I'm, I've lived up to my name. Yes, I am a bit of a workaholic. Um, I don't know where that comes from. Certainly when I was a child, 
I really wanted to get out of the place where I came from. Were you swatty? Yeah, I was always swatty, but that was mostly because I wanted to get out and I saw that as the way of getting out. I was I grew up in Somerset in a very tiny place. And I always wanted to have my own have control over what I'm doing really and not feel that I have to be stuck in one place now you also have um, there's a lot to talk to you about because there's a stand up side of you there's also the literary side I know you, you haven't written your own books yet yet novels I mean you've written plenty of your own books but uh, you do have a nice little side thing of interviewing authors don't you at yes, literary festivals how I did do. you fall into well, that? that really is something that came about because I came from a background where I'd done a lot of journalism and a lot of my journalism was reviewing especially books and I've reviewed loads of telly like I reviewed the whole of Downton Abbey for six oh, years oh yeah that was God, good yes. painful uh, love-hate relationship and Dark. and Dark, which I love I love blogging Dark for The Guardian as well so I'd always done that kind of journalism and then when I started to do stand-up it was just a natural thing that people would start to ask me to interview in a live context because they could see that you could handle the, yeah, yourself the, on stage yeah the sort of journalism that I was doing I could do it live so I love doing that and I've had the pleasure of interviewing you live on stage Jenny. we did we did a, a literary festival we it Harrogate, wasn't well attended we? it was Harrogate <gasps> you uh, thought that was badly attended wow you I, I don't think it was full I don't it was, think it wasn't bursting the teeth. Uh, I, want, I want them hammering the doors down, trying to get some more in, just saying, oh, we've got to go and get some more chairs. Oh, I remember it being very full for you, Jenny. Oh, I said, well, that's nice. Um, that was for, yes, that was for uh, moving, wasn't it? Yes, I'm, I'm desperately yes. struggling to do, the, do another one now. But um, before we get on to the, because we're talking about public speaking and how you know you've gone from the stand-up, combining the journalism with um, stage presence and doing interviewing mm. authors and that sort of thing. But then there's a book in the middle. Yes. So, which I'm very intrigued by. Yes. Now tell us about this one. So after I laughed, I cried. I continued to do stand-up and I've since then done five years of Edinburgh shows. And then in the background, I always had this idea I really wanted to write, which is about my love of Russian literature. And I wrote a book called The Anna Karenina Fix, Life Lessons from Russian Literature. But that was a book I tried to sell for 15 years. And I just finally... Had you written it? Had you got it in I was your bottom drawer? Not really. I'd written bits of it. And I kept trying to sell a, a synopsis of it and retitle it and all kinds of things. And there just came a moment when finally... I found someone who was interested in it and I managed to get it off the ground. But that book is really about me as a reader. So it's about it's a love letter to all the books that I've ever loved so since I read Anna Karenina when I was a teenager. And it's also about me believing that I was Russian from a young age. We all think we're a Russian princess. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yes, who doesn't want to be a Russian well, princess? Well, we all think we're some, you know, only one step away from the Tsarina who might have got away. Yes. Um, yeah, um, so I studied Russian at university. I lived in Russia in the mid-90s. And I also worked... You lived in Russia? Yeah. In, I find that intriguing. Yes, so I lived uh, there for sort of one and a half years. Doing what? Um, as a student. So as part of my year abroad, I was there. And I worked f at Russian Vogue uh, for a while as well. I'm really sorry, oh. but the, the, I am kind of clutching with jealousy. <laughs> I'm having spasms of jealousy. <laughs> Living in Russia and working for Russian Vogue is quite a big to-do. Yeah, that was really weird. I don't know much about Russian literature. I mean, apart from Anna Karenina, which um, I never bothered to read as a book, but I once saw a ballet... <gasps> 
Oh. And it was fabulous. And I liked the film. I know everybody else slags off. The, the... film with Keira Knightley. Yes, oh, I, I loved it. Too. Film. I love that mm. film. Because I actually thought the chemistry between her and the sexy boy was palpable. I thought, yeah, I'd fancy him. I'd leave my boring, you know, slightly less attractive husband for fancy pants. Yeah. Um, what other Russian literature would you put up there with Anna Karenina? Oh, I would put up there a person. I'd be interested to see if you have heard of her, Anna Akhmatova. Have you heard of no. Anna Judith, Akhmatova? come on, don't let me down. Sorry, no. So she's a wonderful Russian poet and probably the best-known female writer to come out of Russia. She's Russia's Jane Austen or Virginia Woolf. Oh, really? And she actually looks like Virginia Woolf. She's got a very crooked nose. Mm-hmm. And Anna Akhmatova was born 1890s, died 1960s, lived through the whole Stalin era and managed to survive despite the fact that she was living in conditions where she couldn't really write. She was constantly uh, under investigation by the KGB. So she wrote all of her poetry by writing it on a piece of paper when she was with a friend, getting them to memorise it, imagine being this friend, and then they would burn it in an ashtray. Gosh. So she so, so literally it exists in their in memories. memories. Yeah. So Good heavens. So there were 13 people who held this work. And then did they manage to write they obviously had Yeah, so much later on they would write it down. So Stalin died 1953 and after that a lot of her work was able to be published or other people left Russia and then had got it published in France or And this is all in your book. Yeah, yeah there's a chapter on her in the book. Yeah. How fascinating. Yeah, she's amazing and I'm so sad that so few people have heard of her. It's mm. completely normal to have not mm. heard of her. Everywhere I go people have not heard of her and she's the most famous not heard of person in the world. Yeah. Um, so the Anna Karenina, then this, this bird. Anna Akhmatova. Mm-hmm. I'll have to listen to the, back to this podcast mm. for this. I, I never listen to myself again, but because you've been interesting, I'm going to listen to this. <laughs> she said that with what some a, surprise. What an accolade. <laughs> um, we, before we finish, because um, we've only got another five more, about five you minutes. We need to talk about the book, then. We need to talk about your most recent. My most recent book. Yeah, it's this is the, the third of... The, we're not calling them a trilogy because they're not really connected, <laughs> no, although they not. are. As you say, this is 45 years of your life that's come to fruition in the sort of... The book about stand-up, the book about Rush, uh, Russian literature and the book about how to stand on stage and be listened to and heard. So yes. Talk to us some more about so how to... So this book, which has just come out, is called How to Own the Room, Women and the Art of Brilliant Speaking. And... It is a celebration of amazing women speakers. And I've taken the idea of being a speaker very loosely. So it's everyone from Michelle Obama and Oprah to Joan Rivers, Virginia Woolf, Malala, Emma Watson, Ariana Grande, that great orator. It's everyone who has created a moment that people Mm -hmm. remember, either through a speech or through their career or, uh, for example, with Emma Watson, uh, who played Hermione, obviously, mm-hmm. in, in the Harry Potter films, that moment when she spoke not in character as herself mm-hmm. at the UN, talking about feminism. feminism yeah. And it's taking those moments and all of these different women and analysing what it is that they do what made that makes them listen. so special. Yeah, what makes us listen. And then trying to draw lessons from that that people can apply to their own lives. Why, why did you aim it at, at women in particular? Because... I wanted to write a a book about speakers and when I started looking around and seeing what there was, there is nothing by a woman about women for women. There's nothing. There are loads of books about rhetoric, 
Winston Churchill. There's always going to be Winston yeah, it's, it's, speeches. You know, and it's mm. about mm. Thatcher though, because yeah, Thatcher gets a mention in there. Um, but what I'm trying to do in this book is show that there are so many different kinds of behaving and of performing. I mean, Jenny, you would know this. You will have, you've worked this out. You know, you have your own performance style. And what this one thing I learned from stand up in the beginning is seeing how different women manage that moment of how you are on stage and how you get people to accept you and like you and go with you. That, but that, you can't think about it. No, well, this is the thing. You can't think about it, but every single woman does it completely differently. Yeah. And I wanted to write a book that would encourage women to develop their own style, whether it's that they want to give a speech at a wedding or they want to do Ooh, a TED Judith. talk or it's even like holding your own in a meeting or for me the thing I really struggle with is complaining in a restaurant I mean there's lots in the book which seem sort of really practical kind of um, you know tips and so on like if, if you're if you have stage fright, if you you know, if you are overtaken with fear, um, you know I thought your your tips were really useful. Like you know breathing through your feet, which is a bit sort of mindful, isn't it? Breathe through the feet. Breathe through the feet. Yes. Um, doing it now. Um, but uh, the, one of the overriding messages that I took from the book was that actually it's not so much about what you're saying, but how you're saying it, and so much of what an audience is doing when they're listening to you. Is is thinking well? You know who is she then, and so on. What she what she wearing? But 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 it's somehow if you're confident, if you're confident about your voice, that it kind of it's so persuasive. But I think that's one of the reasons. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, that Viv uh, concentrated on women because I think women are given a very hard time uh, in public speaking life because. Uh, as you say, people get distracted about what they're wearing, how they walk to the podium. Um, I mean, with uh, Theresa May, she develops the anxious cough. I mean, it, she oh, I she know. hasn't got a cold. We all know that what she has got is a breathing problem when she gets anxious when she's public speaking, and it makes her cough. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it is quite important to sort of help other women possibly, you know, get up there and, and also vocally... You know, in the past, one of the ways women have been put down uh, as public speakers is that uh, even my mother, who drives me insane sometimes by how critical she can be of other women, because she she comes from a generation that feel it's okay to sort of, you know, denigrate other women. And she says, it was the voices. I can't bear the voices. No, you can. You've just been programmed. Somebody else has told you along the line that women's voices are hysterical and shrill and shouldn't be listened to. Mm. And you've bought into that, which Mm. is absolutely appalling. Yeah, I think most people in the reception of this book have felt exactly that way, that they understand the context. Mm. Um, I was expecting a lot more kickback on why do you have to have a book for women? What's so special about women? And uh, what what do women have to do in speaking that's different from what men have to do? And in reality, they don't have to do anything different. It's not as if, you know, you're... Uh, your internal makeup is any different to a man's or but our larynx is well yeah to some extent but a lot of that I think is individual and it's some women have a powerful voice some women have a weak voice same for men (laughs) but everyone understands that the context is different and that women are scrutinized more and women understand very easily the idea of being made to feel small 
And also that if they find it more difficult to be strident and assertive, particularly I know in meetings, I and mean, what you were just saying about meetings just rings so true to me that even something simple like, you know, men are much better at saying, I want you to do this, I want this, this is what I want. Do you know what I mean? That women are, and I can, and I know I do it. It's sort of, oh, I think it'd be a really good idea if... Do you know what I mean? Yes, I think, but how you just said that, Judith, I want, I oh, want, I was totally on board. Were you? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's just about giving ourselves the permission to say these things and try these exactly. things. Exactly. And I've been doing lots of events at festivals on this where I get people up from the audience to try different things and ask the audience, you know, how do you feel when Judith gets up and says, well, I want this to happen. Yeah. And often the person doing it will say, oh, I feel too strident and I feel mm. like I'm bullying mm. people. And I'll ask the audience and they'll say, well, no, we think it's you're just being more easy straightforward. To understand. Yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of pre, uh, preconceptions ourselves of if we do this, people will think this. Well, yes, particularly actually, women. Particularly women, They sure. often don't think that and you just mm. need to try it and get used to it. Yes, exactly. Who's your exactly. favourite? Who, uh, my favourite, it's very clichéd, but Michelle Obama. It's everybody's favourite, surely. I think Michelle Obama has given women a whole new way of looking at how you can be perceived uh, in public and how you can carry a speech in a very natural, self-effacing but powerful way. I think we conveniently forget that she is somebody's wife <laughs> and that's where her. she hasn't really got any power. She's got you know, influence uh, in the cultural sense because of who she's married to. Uh, but I do think that she's been a very influential figure and has empowered a lot of women to feel more positively about what they can achieve. Absolutely. Listen, it has been an absolute joy to have you in. And uh, what I like as well is that you've obeyed the rules of camel, uh, wearing the camel coat with leopard skin. Yes, of course. There's no other way. It's in 2018. Of, I, Judith hasn't got that memo, but we'll, I'll make sure she gets it for next year. <laughs> it has been an absolute joy. What a, what a fascinating... Um, yeah. The, I, I'm sorry, I knew you were going to be good. I wasn't worried. I said to the girls, babe, she's all right, safe pair hands. <laughs> but I didn't know the Russian... I didn't know the detail of the Russian stuff because uh, I, I find that absolutely fascinating. I am now intrigued... Uh, would you remind me of the title of your Russian? So the Russian book is called The Anna Karenina Fix. The Anna Great Karenina title. Fix. Next time we'll do all this in Russian. Wow. <laughs> OK, not too fast, all right? Because <laughs> my Russian's a bit slow, a bit rusty. Uh, thank you very much indeed. You can start grooving again because the, um, the podcast theme is coming up now. That's it. She's doing modern young people's dance. She's doing quite a lot of it's eyebrow a bit kind of like Look, it's a pony, pony yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of country western, yeah. isn't it? Steady as she goes. And then... A little bit of Shania there. Yeah. Absolutely. I could be on a horseback with a pommel. I'm holding on to a pommel with one hand. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.